Amen, amen. You may have a seat. You may have a seat. Welcome everyone to the vineyard. My name is Christian Root. I'm the associate pastor here. So good to be with you all. I'm excited to preach on this stage for the first time. I will take a couple extra inches of height anyway that I can get them. So this is it's kind of a big day for me. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we're, we're currently in the middle of a series that we've called Letters to the Churches, and if you've been here the last few weeks, you might remember that when the Apostle John was exiled on the island of Patmos, he was visited by Jesus himself. You remember this? And Jesus told John to sit down and write out seven different letters to seven different churches from the very mouth of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at the last of Jesus' seven letters to the churches. It's the letter to the church in Laodicea. Now, if you've been here over the last month and a half, you, you know that these letters from, from Jesus have, have, have not always been very easy to read. They've been filled with some pretty harsh rebukes. It's been a challenging series. It's been challenging to, to hear, and it's been challenging, quite frankly, to preach. And, and the church in Laodicea that we're going to be looking at today, they, they hold the dubious distinction of receiving the only letter from Jesus in which he has absolutely nothing positive to say. So for the last six weeks, we, we've been listening to these letters from Jesus, and, and while there certainly have been, been some rebukes, he's also had certain commendations. He's had, he's had things about each church that he's found positive, that he wanted to encourage them to continue to pursue. And then we come to this letter in which he sees nothing Nothing encouraging within the church. And so, with that in mind, this would probably be a good time to pray, yeah? So why don't we pray together before we open up to God's Word. God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Word. That whether it offers us encourage, whether it offers us mercy, or whether it offers stinging rebuke, we, we acknowledge that it comes from you and that it is truth inspired by the Spirit of God. And so would you help us to submit to your word? Would you help us to submit to your leading and your leadership? And I ask in Jesus' name that you would put power on my words now. Would you give me your authority? Would you give me your strength, God? Help me to teach this text correctly in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Revelation 3, it's going to be the last book in your Bible. You can also follow along behind me. This is what we read. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on His throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. 
God's very word. Now, in order to understand this letter properly, we, we have to understand a bit of the background of the, the city of Laodicea. La- Laodicea was an influential, wealthy city that was known primarily for three things. Number one, it was a banking center, seated as it was on a major trade route. Number two, it was a major textile center where garments from a special black wool were produced that were prized throughout the Roman Empire. And number three, Laodicea was home to a major medical school that specialized in ophthalmology or eye care. And the school was famous because they had produced an eye salve that was known to to cure different eye ailments. Because of these different industries, the city of Laodicea was quite wealthy, quite influential, as I said. It, It was a bit like the New York of its day, although although on a smaller scale. It was the center of fashion, it was the center of the banking industry, it was a leader in the medical field. And and Laodicea was so prosperous, in fact, that when an earthquake ravaged the city in AD 60, the emperor Nero Nero in Rome, he, he reached out to the city and he said, hey, I'd love to float you guys alone, just to help you guys rebuild. And the city of Laodicea wrote back to, to Nero and they said, actually, thanks, but no thanks. We don't need your help. It was unheard of in this day that a city within the Roman Empire would be so prosperous that they would actually tell the city of Rome, you know what, we don't need your help. This is the climate that we find in Laodicea. They were prosperous. They were wealthy. They were influential. But the Laodiceans, they did have one glaring problem. They had one issue. And that was their water supply. Laodicea, you you see, they had no nearby water sources. Its neighbor, six miles to the north, Hierapolis, it was famous for its hot springs, which many would flock to for its medicinal purposes. And 11 miles east of Laodicea was Colossae. Colossae was known for its refreshing cool water. It was seated at the base of a mountain, and so it had cool and refreshing mountain water, mountain springs. And so to solve their problem, out of their own wealth, Laodicea actually piped in water to the city through a six-mile-long piping system. Extremely sophisticated for its day. But by the time water reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm or tepid. And it was filled with minerals, making it nauseating, making it almost undrinkable. And so this this background, it helps us to better understand Jesus' rebuke. Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, look, you are just like your water supply. You're neither hot like the springs in Hierapolis. You're neither cold like the water in Colossae. You are lukewarm, and it makes me want to spit you out of my mouth. And scholars are unanimous here that this translation of the phrase, spit you out of my mouth, it's far too mild. It's far too mild. You see, there is a word in the Greek which means spit. And there is a word in the Greek which means vomit. And the word that Jesus uses here is not the word for spit. It's the word for vomit. And and so Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, look, your apathy, your lukewarm hearts, makes me nauseous, makes me want to vomit. And Jesus goes on to say to the church in Laodicea, look, you might have acquired a lot of worldly wealth, but... But I say to you, you are poor. And you might have produced highly regarded fashion, but I I tell you, you are naked. And you might have created this famous eye salve, but I tell you that you're blind. 
Now, I, I want to spend the remainder of our time asking three questions. Three questions that are probably or, or might, might have actually already arisen in your mind. Have, have you been reading the passage closely? And the, the first question, guys, is this. Number one, well, why does Jesus say that he would prefer the Laodiceans were either hot or cold? Well, why does he say, I would prefer that you were hot or cold as opposed to being lukewarm? For this, again, is what we read in verse 15. This is what he says. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold, or you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Certainly we understand why, why Jesus would rather the church in Laodicea were hot, right? We understand why he would want them to be passionate, for, why he would want them to, to have such a strong desire and love for the Lord and for his church. We get that. But why would he say, I, I would prefer you rather be cold, than be, be lukewarm. Well, here's why. You know, when you're in a close and intimate relationship with someone, be it a spouse or be it your, your very best friend in the world, and you give yourself fully to that person, right? You give them your trust, you give them your time, you give them your faithfulness, you give them your heart, and then that same love, that same fidelity, that same affection is not returned to you in kind. It is more painful then had you never entered into a romantic relationship with them, had you never entered into a deep friendship with them. Do you know this? And so Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, look, I have given you everything. I, I, I've given you everything. I've died in your place in the cross. I, I've taken up residence in your heart through the Holy Spirit. I've entrusted you with advancing my kingdom on this earth. I've promised to never leave you nor forsake you. And yet, in return, your love for me has been dispassionate and lethargic. It would be less painful, Jesus is saying to the church in Laodicea, had you never entered into a relationship with me. It would have been less painful had you never called yourself my follower. Friend, the, the language that Jesus is using in this letter isn't the language of some oppressive tyrant who's telling his people that they're just never going to do enough to please him, right? It's not the language of some ungrateful king who's just perpetually dissatisfied with his subjects, who just needs more bricks and more bricks and more bricks for his building projects. It's not, it's not what's going on. That's not what this letter is about. Instead, this is a, a letter of a lover who has been rejected. It's a letter of a lover who's given himself to his bride, to, to the church, and who in return has received an unenthused, half-hearted devotion. Look, the, the church in Laodicea, they were still showing up. They're still doing this worship thing every Sunday, right? They're still showing up, still coming to worship. They're still passing around the offering baskets. They're still offering up their prayers. And yet there was just this nonchalance to it all. Just this half-hearted devotion, just kind of ambling in as they felt like it, singing along to a few songs and then figuring out what they wanted to do for lunch. And so Jesus sees this, and he's tremendously distressed by it. Now, a second question worth asking is this. Here's, here's a second question. Number two, why is Jesus so harsh? Why is Jesus so harsh? 
As a pastor, I, I've received some pretty blistering emails in my day. This happens when you're a pastor. It's kind of a rite of passage that you're, you're going to get some pretty, pretty intense emails. I, I have to admit, however, in my day, I have never had anyone write me an email and said that my actions made them want to vomit. I, I mean, I doubt any of you have made verse 17 your life verse. You know, the verse that you just go to when you're, when you're discouraged in need of some fresh hope. Verse 17 says, but you do not realize, Jesus said, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. No one's putting that on a coffee mug, right? <laughs> I, I mean, this will never be a Christian radio station's positive thought of the day, Right? Driving home from work, hey, here's a, here's a positive thought of the day for you. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Enjoy your, your ride home, right? Bloop, bloop. <laughs> so why is Jesus so harsh? I, I mean, this is, this is pretty intense for the one that we would sing songs about how he is ver the very embodiment of love. I mean, in all seriousness, we should stop and ask ourselves, why would Jesus speak in such harsh tones to his followers? Well, here's my best answer. Because in, in this life, guys, there are some things that are so important, so consequential, that they just demand absolutely brutal honesty. Do you know this? For example, if I were to ask you, hey, do you, do you like this shirt? Do you like this shirt? I got it yesterday at Kohl's, had a gift card. Thanks, Mom. Bought this shirt. This is a true story. Bought this shirt yesterday. What, what do you think? If I ask you that question in the lobby, I, I'm looking for you to be sort of honest with me, okay? And what I mean by that is, if you like it, tell me you like it. Yeah, it's fine. It's a great shirt. But if you don't like it, your harshest reply to me in the lobby at church should probably be, it's fine. It's fine, right? Because it's just a shirt. And so I'm not expecting for you to be brutally honest with me, okay? It's just a shirt. But, for example, if I were to speak with my wife and I were to say, Celeste, I'm, I'm thinking about using this sermon illustration on Sunday. What do you think? I, I'm going to want her to be a little bit more honest with me, correct? Be because it's, it's a bigger deal. It's more important than a stupid shirt. And so if she really doesn't like my sermon illustration, I'm going to expect her to say, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work, Christian. Just is off. However, I'm still hoping in that moment that my wife is going to show just a little bit of tact, right? I mean, if, if she thinks that it is the worst sermon illustration that she's ever heard, I'm still hoping that she takes it pretty easy on me, okay? I'm hoping that she's not saying to me, Christian, you should probably talk to, to Pastor Tom, see if you, maybe you can switch weeks, because I, I just, I don't think you have it this week. It's just rough. I'm still hoping that she shows a uh, a good amount of tact. But if, if totally hypothetically, I, I were meeting with my oncologist who was going to tell me if I, if I had cancer or not, I, I want her to be brutally honest, don't I? I I'm not offering up my, my copay so that a doctor can be mostly honest with me. I, I want brutal honesty in the moment. Just give me the facts. And why is that? Well, why, why do I want brutal honesty in this scenario? Because of what's at stake, right? Because of how important that information is. Don't, don't sugarcoat with me when I'm at the doctor. Tell me the truth. 
And so Jesus sees what's at stake in the church at Laodicea. And he sees this group of people who have committed themselves to following him. And yet they're just wallowing in their indifference. They're wallowing in their apathy. And he knows that this situation demands what? It demands brutal honesty. The Laodiceans, guys, they assumed that they were doing great. That they were living in God's favor because they were prospering materially. And so Jesus has to intervene and say, no, 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 listen to me. Listen to me. I, I find your love for me, and I find your love and heart for the church appalling. That's what he has to say. Listen, the, the scariest aspect of this letter to me is that the Laodiceans were lukewarm and they didn't even realize it. They, they didn't even know it. They, they were just living on cruise control, just showing up every week. And this reality, it hadn't even seeped in. Hadn't even been brought down to their hearts. And, and so this brings us to our, our last question. How do we know if we're lukewarm? How do we know? I, I, I can't give you a a test with 10 questions and have you fill it out and then give you your lukewarm scale. That's not how this works. How, how do we know? This is pretty subjective. How, how do you and I know if we're lukewarm, if, like the Laodiceans, our walk with Jesus is just apathetic, unenthusiastic, and ultimately, most importantly, just really displeasing to Jesus? Well, I, I think we're, we're given the answer in this very text. I, I think we're given the answer in verse 20. Here's what we read in verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. You know, most often when we reference this verse, it's in an evangelistic context. It's... it's it's proclaiming this verse and, and inviting someone who is outside the Christian faith to come in, to open the door to Jesus. And certainly I, I think it's appropriate to use this verse in that, in that context. But we have to understand that Jesus is writing here to a church. He's writing to believers. And he's saying, you still need to open the door to me. You still need to open the door. Jesus is saying to the church in, in Laodicea that there's a way out of their apathy, but it's going to require opening the door. It's going to require giving Jesus access to their lives. Jesus is knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. But he's not breaking down the door. The Laodiceans, they have to provide Jesus with the access. And, and so here we find, quite honestly, here we find the litmus test for whether or not our, our heart is lukewarm. Are we giving Jesus access to our lives? Now, you, you, you might say, well, that, that still feels pretty ambiguous. I, I mean, what, is it, what does it actually look like to give Jesus access to our lives? And so let me break this down just a, a bit further. A helpful way to determine if we are, in fact, lukewarm is to ask ourselves, number one, am I giving Jesus access to my time? Am I giving Jesus access to my time? You know, a few years back, I was asked to perform a time study for a former employer. And what this means is that every day for two weeks, I had to log exactly what I was doing. If I was performing administrative tasks, I had to write that down. If I was responding to emails, I had to write that down. If I was in a meeting, I had to write that down. Commuting between meetings, I had to write that down. And I 
hated, hated, hated every minute of it. It was awful. Every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes for two weeks, logging exactly what I was doing and then categorizing it. But at the end of the two weeks, after I had logged all of my tasks into, into this little app, the app was able to create these various graphs and charts, which, which showed me how, how I actually spent my time on a day-to-day -day basis. And I remember as I looked at one of those pie charts thinking, you know, if I were to track my whole life so that all of the hours of my day were logged and accounted, and I was given the, a pie chart of the last month of my life or the last year of my life, how much of that chart would be represented by, by time spent with Jesus? And I think this is a really helpful question to ask ourselves as we seek to, to better understand the temperature of our passion for Jesus. There was a pie chart of your life which showed you how much of your time you spent in front of the TV, how much of your time you spent on your phone, how much of your time you spent getting ready for work, how much of your time you spent eating, how much of your time you spent with friends, and so on and so on. What percentage of that chart would be labeled time spent with Jesus? That is, how much of your, your time spent would, would be doing things like reading your Bible and praying, engaged in, in Christian community, not just hanging out with people who are Christians, but intentionally pursuing God together? How much of your time would be spent in worship? And would it make up a significant part of, of the chart? You know, listen, I, I need to stop here for a second. I, I just, I, I want you to know, I have no desire. I, I hope you know my heart. I have no desire to simply make people feel guilty, okay? I, I do not judge the success of a sermon of whether or not I, I can get people to, to feel guilt or how guilty I can make people feel. That's not how I judge the success of a sermon. So I, I want you to know that. I, I hope you know that. But when we come to a passage like this, and we're talking about something as important as a relationship with the Savior of this world, then as a pastor, it's not my job to be sort of honest with you, right? It's my job to be honest with you like an oncologist would be honest with you. It's my job to come before you and say, we need to examine our lives. We've got to examine our lives here. We've we, we got to take some time to step back and say, am I actually creating space for Jesus? Now, now listen, I understand that not all of us here would say that we are followers of Jesus. And, and if that's you, I, I just want you to know I am so glad that you're, you're here, and we want this to be a safe place for you to process your beliefs and your faith. And I am praying that God would meet you in our context. But, but right now, I am addressing specifically those of us who would say, no, I am a committed follower of Jesus. And if that's you, then, then we have to examine our lives. And, and listen, you might have had the best of intentions, right? We all do. And you might, you might say, I, I really like the idea of praying. I, I like the idea of having this, this regular time within my day where, where I'm, I'm taking my my concerns, I'm taking my, my gratitude to the Lord. You might really like the idea of being someone who just regularly reads your Bible. 
Might like the idea of being connected to a Christian community that's, that's really tight-knit and really encouraging one another. But some of us might say, I, I like the idea of that, but as I, I think about my past week, as I think about my past year, that's just not where I'm at. It's just not happening. And, and if, if, if that's where you're at, then I, I think it's just important to own in your heart that you are neither hot nor cold and that something needs to change. And that's not me speaking. That's, just, that's the text speaking. We're either hot or cold. Something needs to change. Secondly, a helpful litmus test to determine whether we are lukewarm or not is to ask ourselves, am I giving Jesus access to my decisions? In other words, am I allowing God's will as revealed in the Scriptures to determine the choices that I make? Or are there areas in my life where I'm content simply to do my own thing? Are there areas in my life where I'm simply content to live in disobedience to the commands of, of God? Friends, are there areas in your life where you, you simply haven't given access to Jesus? He's knocking on the door. And you're just saying, I'm not giving Jesus access to this area in my life. I'm not opening the door of my sexuality to Jesus. It's not doing that. I'm an adult. I'm an adult. If I want to sleep with my boyfriend or girlfriend, if, if I want to look at porn to try to blunt my own loneliness, try to relieve some of the stress in my life, I'm just going to do it. Even though I know this runs counter to the teachings of Scripture. You might be saying, I'm not opening the door of my finances to the Lord. I work hard for my money, and I don't have a lot extra. And so that little extra that I do, that's, that's my fun money. I'm going to spend it the way that I want. I don't want to give regularly to the church as Scripture commands us to do. I, I don't want to be generous as Scripture commands us to do. I, I need that little bit of play money from me. Or you might be saying, I, I'm not opening the doors of my marriage to Jesus. My spouse knew who I was when they married me. So I'm not looking to change. This is who I am. I'm not opening a lot of space for dialogue about how we're going to do things differently. I'm, I'm just, I don't want to go there. Not opening the doors of my marriage to Jesus. Or, or here's the last one. Here, here's a question that I, I think is, is really helpful for us. If you were to examine your heart right now, is there anyone in this world that you don't wish God's absolute best for? Anyone in this world right now that you're, you're just not rooting for their relationship? Or if you were to get on Facebook and you were to see that they were having a hard time or that life dealt them a heavy blow, there would be even just a little part of you internally that would be thinking to yourself, uh-huh, mm-hmm, that's what happens. <laughs> you know, maybe a former spouse, maybe a, a former business partner, Maybe a boss, maybe a family member. Is there anyone in your life right now that you don't wish God's absolute best for? Because if that's the case, then, then we just need to own the fact that while we recognize that Scripture tells us to forgive, that Scripture commands us to release our bitterness to Jesus, that we're just not willing to do it. That there's an area of our heart that we're just not going to give Jesus access to. Can't have that anger, can't have that bitterness, can't have that unforgiveness. 
Friend, is there any area in your life where you know you are not walking in line with the commands of Scripture, and yet you're just doing it anyway? And listen, the longer we keep Jesus out of an area of our life, the longer we allow him to knock and to knock and to knock on the other side of the door, the easier it becomes to ignore the lock. Celeste and I, my wife, we have some good friends who, who live in a home right, right behind a, a set of train tracks. And, and often I, I've been there for dinner and a train will come by and it is, it is really jarring. I mean, it'll make you jump because they, they're... They're seated right up against, they're butted right up against these tracks. It, I mean, it'll, you know, shake the light fixtures a little bit. And so I've asked them, how do you guys sleep? Because th these trains, they come by every 45 minutes. It's not like once a day. I mean, it is, it is regular, and they, the horn blasts, and it's, it's, like, it's jarring. What, what do you do when it's 1 a.m.? What do you do when it's 3 a.m.? And, and they've said the same thing to me. They said, Christian, it's crazy. We've lived here long enough. We, we just don't even notice it anymore. It comes by at 1 a.m., comes by at 3 a.m. It just doesn't even wake us up anymore. And friends, this is a picture of what happens when we kick Jesus out of an area of our lives. He continues to knock. He continues to knock. And it just ceases to wake us up. And when there are areas of our lives that remain unsurrendered to Jesus, area of our, of our lives where we say, I I'm just going to do it my way, then, then friend, we, we need to confess, if indeed we are followers of Jesus, that we are, we are neither cold nor hot, but that we are lukewarm. D.L. Moody is a great 19th century preacher. He's one of my heroes. He said this, he said, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. Our greatest fear should be of succeeding at something that doesn't really matter. And you know, by all worldly accounts, the Christians in Laodicea were successful people. They lived in a successful city with successful jobs, and I imagine that their kids were, were really successful on top of it all. But yet when it came to the most important matter in their lives, that is following Jesus with passion, they just absolutely failed. Absolutely failed. So may it not be so with us. May we refuse to live out a lukewarm faith in which we succeed at things in life that just really don't matter. Here's the deal. I was planning on ending this talk on a high note because this is... It's been a bit of a somber affair, right? If this is your first time here, just, just so you know, that, you know we, we're just trying to teach the, the text faithfully here. This is not how we typically roll every week. But yet we, we don't want to skirt around challenging passages either. And, and my, my plan, and I have it right here in my notes, is to end on a high note. I really like that point. It was, you know, was going to be great. But I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and I just wonder if maybe we're not supposed to just end here. Because, you know, I've I got to be honest, as a pastor, I want to get out of this gloom just as much as you do. And so there's this part of me that's like, yeah, let's, let's, let's roll into something encouragement, or into something encouraging, rather. But I, I think there are times when it's just helpful and healthy for us to just kind of sit and, and just take in what the Lord might be speaking to us.
And so maybe I'll preach this point next week, I don't know, or maybe I'll preach it in coming weeks, who knows. But what I know is right, right now, I think I'm just going to stop here because some of us, we just need to, we just need to sit in this. So why, why, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I'm going to invite the band up. Here's what I want to do. I want to give a chance for some of us to respond. You know, there are some moments in our lives where, where the Lord just seems to really speak to us. And it's been my experience that, that when the Lord just really kind of grabs hold of your collar, it's always best when, when you choose to press in and respond in kind, when you choose to to press into what the Lord's doing. And, and I believe that, that right now, some of you guys, you, you might have had your collar grabbed by the Lord today. And so in just a second, I'm, I'm going to offer you an opportunity to get some prayer, to kind of lean into whatever the Lord might be doing. And, and so if you're on one of our prayer teams, I'm, I'm just going to invite you to head to either side of the stage right now. If you've been trained to pray here, if you're a leader here, would you... Would you head to either side of the stage? I'd love to see lots of people available for prayer. And, and here's, here's the invitation. If you want prayer for anything, we want to pray for you. But particularly if you're just in a spot where you would say, you know what, I'm just not where I want to be. I'm just not where I want to be. That, that something in this message today just, just kind of grabbed you by the collar a bit not where I want to be. We want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would encourage you. We want to pray that God would strengthen you. We want to pray that a year from now, you wouldn't be at the place where you're at right now. <coughs> and so if that's you, I'm just going to invite you to begin coming forward. We want to pray for you. We want to pray that God would meet you right now. And the rest of us, let's, let's worship together.